Hello. Hey, John. Hi, Dan. How are you? Doing all right. How's everything going up there? And, uh, you're back in Seattle now, right? Back in Seattle. Yeah, you were back I, last week, weren't you? Yes, I was. And I'm just only now realizing as I as I as I get your call that I still have the same mono head headphone problem. Oh. <laughs> right, from last week, yeah. I have a couple of different recording setups in a couple of different locations and right. um and this is the one that I keep forgetting. As soon, you know, as soon as I'm done, I should go find the right Right, Jack, but I haven't done it yet because no. I forget instantly. I forget instantly, Dan. Is it one of those things where as soon as you walk out of the room, you forget wh- why you were leaving the room and where you were going and all that, that kind of thing like that? Um, no, I'm not quite there. You know, I... I uh, that happens to me. I read a study, apparently. There's like, like this is a thing where if you... It's very common for people when they walk through a doorway. And apparently that's sort of like the key. <clears throat> Excuse a, me. A is magic that, portal. Yeah. Something happens in your brain when you go through a doorway. And so you're more apt to forget the thing that you were thinking about if you're going to be walking through a doorway. Interesting. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, you've everyone has had the feeling like, why did I come in here? What was what did I want to do in here? There's something I wanted to do in here, but the, but it's amplified and made uh, not worse. But it's it yeah I guess it's worse. Or if you um if you go through a doorway, the doorway triggers it. Somehow. The doorway is some kind of trigger. Yeah, I guess. So you should you should go through your your living space, mark in your mind where the doorways are, and never and go then, through them. Well, or find a way to like. R- you know, gird yourself or, you know, reinforce yourself because going through a doorway is in and of itself a kind of, of power sink. Ah. Right. So you should know where all the doorways are and then just not go through them blithely, but, but, you know, kind of put your head down and like force your way through a doorway. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Right. There's a, there's a membrane of forgetfulness or something or (laughs) a membrane of forgetfulness. You know, I I uh, I definitely feel that my that I am distracted all the time, and I think it is the phone. I think it's the the time we spend looking at our phones creates a it's it's almost like a like like you're having like you've had some some brain injury or or a or a lobotomy because half of your mind is always thinking about the phone, what's on the phone. And after I left social media, I, I really believed that that would go away because what I was thinking about that half of my mind was thinking about all these conversations I was having online, mm. maintaining all these friendships I only had online. Right. What wondering from moment to moment, whether I was going to get, you know, between five and 15 faves or between 500 and 1500 faves. And what was the difference between these things? And why was it so hard to know? And, and was I, that? I, I mean, lived, that was a thing that um, that you were concerned about was like get, getting likes, attaining likes, that kind of stuff. Yeah, over time. Yeah. Well, no, even from the beginning, because I remember, you know, that first year on Twitter when I, when I kind of at first I thought every post had to be 140 characters, and then I learned that it, they didn't. But I, but I felt like that was my mission. And then people would write me and say, you know, in order to share your tweets. You have to leave space for us to say RT. 
at the front. <laughs> yeah. So if it's 140 characters, we can't RT them. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So can you make them 135 characters? And I was like, you don't understand. And they said, no, you don't understand. The whole thing that we do is share them, and that's how people find you. Right. I'm like, yeah, but my tweets have to be 140 characters. <laughs> it took me a while to understand the social media part of it, or uh-huh. the you know the sharing. And then there was Fave Star. Oh yeah, I, I remember that thing. And I, I remember having thing. you know Fave Stars that you know some of my tweets got Fave Starred really highly, but then I would look at other people's tweets, Merlin's and whatnot, and and they would, you know, and I couldn't tell the difference between like the humor in Merlin's and the humor in mine. Like, how was his ten times funnier than mine? Did, still not understanding that social media was was more than just like a like an Olympic committee judging tweets. It was it was everything. It was right. all the social stuff. So no, that never left me. I always I always um, thought about I would I would put tweets up and say like this one's gonna go. This one's gonna this has got to get because you know then as more and more people joined Twitter and there were all these millions of snorks on there yeah. that weren't even trying to be funny or interesting. Right. And you know, and you, you'd see some tweet that had a million, a million likes. And then you go look at their profile and it's like, this person's got 700 followers. How did they, and the tweet isn't even that good. How did it get a million likes? It really did feel like a way of being paid a way of being like Rob Delaney. I always admired his tweets were amazing. His, his the, the accolades he reaped and the career he built, I I supported 100%. And there yeah. were a lot of people like that that were so gifted, Cool Pond and whoever these characters were. Um, and, I, and I aspired to join their ranks, right? And I think that even, even my last hurrah, when I, when I was composing the tweets that that uh, comprised Bean Dad. Mm-hmm. I was thinking of it as a as a tweet essay, right? That you know that I hoped would connect with people, mm-hmm. and that it would you know that it would reverberate out, and it would be it would be uh, something that got liked and forwarded and talked about. And you know, lo and behold, like I, well, I did. I, I did. I finally accomplished my my goal. Yeah, you, but that you, you got what you'd always wanted. I really did. Yeah, but yeah, I was always um, because, I, and and I and this was true even in the early days of it, right? I, one of the no one in my world has ever thought it was a coincidence that Twitter came around right about the time my next record should come out. And I never came out with another record after mm, because of Twitter. That's a, a lot of the people. Like, is that in your my, assertion right now? That like Twitter, Twitter was the the downfall of your music career. There, there are people in my in my business who who think that's true and have said it to me. Oh wow! And I think the the thinking is that you know, prior to Twitter. I I really really wanted to be known in the world, mm-hmm. and I had no outlet. I had no way to connect with the world, to talk with the world, right? Except by writing records and putting them out, and those were laborious 
and and difficult year long projects. Sure. And then people wanted to interview me, and then I could try to translate my sense of humor and my worldview through um, through a young reporter for the Riverfront Times who was just trying to fill 500 words. Right. Very frustrating. And Twitter was the place that I finally could speak for myself. And in doing that, I got the I got that that stimulation, that daily reinforcement, the the praise of of faves. And it became a very short term um reward cycle loop. And so it was but then you know, get my my emotional life got very tied to it. I mean, we're talking about for for a decade. Yeah, my emotional life got increasingly tied to it, so that um, you know, a tweet in the morning and a tweet in the afternoon, and one of them would would get a bunch of ha ha clap claps from randos in the universe, and I would feel validated for another day. Um, and you know, going from feeling like, well, you know, I think at, at first I argued that it was a new art form because it felt like one mm-hmm. and I felt like being good at it was, was a, a valid thing to pursue. Um, because it was, it was connecting with people and it was pithy in a way that, uh, that felt new and kind of important that, that, that pith, right? Not, not pithy, like, um, like in a dismissive sense, but, but in a, um, in a, it was transitory, but it was, it was a new way of communicating. And that felt that felt real, and people even then said, you know, you should be working on your record instead of tweeting all day. And this is, you know, and I was tweeting what three or four times a day. It wasn't all day, Not although all day. I was I was thinking about it all day. Um, and uh, and actually, somebody from my record label sent me one time in an angry way, <laughs> angrily, sent me a graph of my record sales over time. Uh huh. And they marked with a big arrow the day I went on Twitter, and then oh the oh so the implication being like look 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 what this has done. Well, the implication being this has done nothing. Oh, you know they marked with arrows significant sort of Twitter anniversaries, and this is yeah. you know only in the first couple of years of it. But Twitter promotions like hey I'm playing a show you know this type of thing, and uh, on this graph. The, the story they were trying to tell at the record label was Twitter has done nothing for your career mm. because I was making the case that all creative people make, which is, well, without Twitter, how would I publicize my stuff? How would I get the word out? Right. You know, how do you have a career as a creative without Twitter? Right. And so, and they've sent this to me, you know, kind of smugly, but the problem with that was that we all remember five years before when some of the bands that we were close to, you know, our label mates and friends got on the Letterman show, mm. which was always the goal. Get yeah. on the Letterman. Oh yeah. oh yeah. And I remember them printing out 
and that's probably why he had the why he had the technology readily at hand because we we printed out then graphs of record sales and the letterman show made no difference you know you you wanted so desperately to see like the following week this huge bump in sales as everybody ran out to buy a record it never happened and nobody could believe it because getting on the letterman show seemed like a crowning achievement but it was and and was you know and i never did but it had no effect on whether or not people buy your records yeah but gradually right it stopped being an art form it stopped being fun it stopped being even pleasurable and and yet like any drug addiction it didn't stop being necessary or a compulsion like it felt very much like a descent into drugs where the early days of you know the those big highs and those fun times those parties you remember where you were like getting loaded with the with all your best friends and these are the days you know they just gradually turn into well you're you know your good friends and the good ones don't come to these parties and the people that are at these parties are not really your friends and this isn't a very fun party but you're still chasing it and maybe there's one maybe there's a party after this party and then pretty soon you're like you know you start to lose stuff it's just it just feels like drugs and the compulsion and the thinking about it all the time and the you know that thing that you have where you're in a room with actual people and your actual friends and you're just thinking about your Twitter life and they they know they can tell they're like what are you doing why aren't you here with us like stop talking but, to me I'm on Twitter yeah what, well I've got this thing going on on Twitter right now it's like what kind of thing well I'm in an argument with some kid in nowheresville <laughs> right. about nothing right and you know and they like scored a point with their last tweet and now I'm you know and I'm getting ready to really lay them out or you know, or I'm following the progress of some tweet that blah, 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 you know, is out, it's out making the rounds. But the weird part is that I've been off of all of that social media for nine months. Hmm. And it's not like in the past where I took a break from social media that was a month long or, right. or even longer. A voluntary break. You know, this feels like a real, um, a clean break, mm-hmm. and yet the the phone itself still pulls me um, like the ring of power. <laughs> I wondered if you were gonna <laughs> if you were I, gonna go there. I actually wondered that. You know, I can't if I put it on my finger. I'm visible to. Um. To Sauron. Right. So I can't do that, put it on my finger, meaning that I go actually onto the internet. Right. But I carry it. I carry it around my neck on a gold chain and I and I fondle it and mm-hmm. I and I look at it and think about it and I'm playing games on it and I'm and um it's just always there and it is sucking it is sucking from me. And it's and it's the reason I feel like when I go through a door, I don't remember 
what I went through the door to do. Yeah. Because I mean, Dan, when you, when you can't find your phone. Yeah. Do you like say, I'll find it later. No, I mean, you got to go, you got to go find it. You got to go find your phone. Yeah. Right. I mean, if you put your phone down, you can't find your phone. Yeah. You you got to go find it. Yeah. That's, that's the only thing I'm thinking about probably. Yeah. The house is on fire, but you got to go, you got to go find it. (laughs) Well, (laughs) you know, the number of times that I've left the house, realized I didn't have my phone and then just sort of comfortably spent the rest of the day doing the things I was headed out to do. No one, but that's nobody. I mean, well, right, right. There are, there are. One billion rings of power now. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. They're, they're they're weak rings. They're not all of power, but I do sometimes as an exercise, and it's never intentional. I never say I'm leaving my phone at home today. But those times when I forget it, I don't go back for it. Yeah, and I spend the day without it. I used to do it all the time. I would do it intentionally, you know, like I'm mm. going to leave the phone home because right. I need to break, I need to break this hold. But it, it, it's blowing my mind and has been now for weeks after I really started to feel that it's the phone that has the hold. It's mm. the, it's, it's the 5G, Dan. It's the 5G. It's the 5G. Yeah. Yeah. In my head. I don't, I honestly don't know what it is. It's not my friend. I don't, you know, I have a picture of my daughter as a screen, as a screensaver. Yeah. Maybe. And she's been there for years. It's the same picture. It's probably been there through three successive phones. It's a picture of her from first grade. Maybe Mm -hmm. Uh, there were, there was an art troupe that came through her elementary school and they set up a camera and they gave the kids themselves the button oh. and said, you know, you, you push the button when you're ready to take the picture. And my daughter has always been impossible to photograph. As soon as she knows there's a camera pointed at her, her, her whole, her face, her whole posture changes, but it's always been true since she was two years old. Yeah. You couldn't get her to smile. And when she did smile, it was, you know, it was a smile that was, it was a forced smile. Yes. And I think when I was a kid, I loved having my picture taken. It wasn't until I was in junior high or high school that I started to be uncomfortable. And by the end of high school, from, from probably about age 15 to 25, I ruined every picture I was in. Like because intentionally it, ruined it? Yeah, well, or not not intentionally, but like there'd be five people, hey, let's get a picture. And then I would be doing something, you know, making a face or like, ha, or like, yeah. you know, like finger guns or, <laughs> you know, I, I couldn't just be in a photograph. And so when I look back at, and there are, there are probably, this will sound crazy to anyone much younger than me, but there are. From the age of 19 to the age of 22, there are probably three pictures of me total. Like, I think my 21st year, there's not a single extant picture of me. You know, but I, I was the same way, um, not trying to necessarily mess up photos, but just not wanting to be in a photo, not wanting to have a photograph taken. And I, I, 
I don't remember my thinking on that exactly, like what what I was, why I did that. But I very very vividly remember like being anti being in a photograph. Yeah, I, I don't know why. You know that that uh, that famous picture of John Belushi wearing the sweatshirt that says college. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That, 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 uh, for for a few years hung in every dorm room. Yes. And what's crazy is it's not a screenshot from Animal House because that that actually never that that never appears in Animal House. It's a it's a it's a shot, it's a promo photo from the making of the film, but that that moment never happens. But there was that there was that look. His mouth is open. He's going, "No!" because mm-hmm. somebody dropped a, a a case of beer or whatever it was. He's like, "Wow!" or no, it was a case of whiskey, I guess. mm mm-hmm. Mhm. And he's got his mouth open and he's like, ah, like a few, well, it's got to be 10 years ago now. Dave Bazan got really tired of seeing his picture because his fans always want to take pictures with him. He got really tired of looking at himself and he started to make this face in fan photos where to his mind, it, it looked like he was in the middle of a big laugh because every band is, has seen like promo photos of of cool bands where one of them is like laughing in the background, like ha, right. ha, ha, yeah, like in the middle of some somebody said something funny, right? And so he put on this face that was like somebody said something funny, and this was his face that he started to do in every photo. But the problem was it was the exact same face in every photo, <laughs> and it didn't take very long for the light to go out of his eyes, <laughs> and so it just looked like he was screaming, yeah. Like heart, um, like heart, like in terror, like a horror, a horror scream, right? Yeah. And my thing was, my mouth was always open in these pictures of me as a young guy, but it was always open in a kind, not in like somebody just dropped a box of whiskey, but in a like, you know, wow, we're about to go over the edge. <laughs> you know, it, there was there was something I didn't like my face, and so I contorted it uh. to look more interesting in a kind of national lampoon mm. sort of way. Mm-hmm. Like I was trying to look animated maybe. Um, oh, Dan, something's happening to me. What? Well, this is like the third time this has happened in the last week where I forget where I am in, in, in conversation. And that has never happened to me. I'm not somebody that's like, where was I? I mean, barely. Third time in a week. Well, you but you know what you're saying, right? I mean, like it. The, you know well, what yeah. we were just talking about. Well, yeah, but you know, like the like the bounce of a conversation, the kind of bounce, the threat, you know, and, and I go off on a little tangent about opening your mouth in a photograph, and then I bounce back to to the main road. Yeah. And normally, you know, in a in a situation where I'm kind of like, oh, where was I? I just keep going, forge a way back to the main road. Right. You remember right? it, and then you can just you can kind of circle back to that point. I get there. Yeah. But in this instance, right now, and it happened with Merlin earlier this week, and uh-huh. it, and and it happened with Ken. Um, I I suddenly felt like I was standing. I had gone out to look over a vista walking walking out on a rock yeah 
and I suddenly just felt like I was standing on the rock and there wasn't a, there wasn't a path back to the road. Couldn't, had no idea what I, what I had been saying, what I was just, I think most people feel that though. Well, I know, but that, but I, but I don't. And did that's you walk my, through a doorway by any chance? No, I've just been sitting. I didn't even look at a doorway. Sometimes you walk through a doorway. But if, if if there's any reason I'm a successful podcaster, it's because I never go. What was I saying? Right. Sure. You know, like it's that's my like your claim power. to fame. Like you, used, right? Uh, yeah. But it, but three times in a week, like, and 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 I was and I was. You know, the, the, this feeling that the phone is distracting me is part of this larger feeling that, that there's a little bit of a fog, but I've never felt like my mind couldn't find words or that I couldn't find the path back through the woods. It's the, it's a thing about, it's a thing that doesn't terrify me about aging, but it's a thing I'm not prepared for. You think this is an aging age related thing? I don't know. I mean, I've been drinking a lot of coffee and I haven't had a lot of vitamins and my, but that's always been true. My, I'm actually, my sleep's been better the last few days than in a long time. Yeah. I don't know. And, and honestly, you know, I'm and like, it here, just, it just happened. Like you're it saying just this happened. just happened just now. Yeah. And I'm actually kind of stalling right now, trying to, uh, hoping that the, like you can bring it, it back somehow. It will come it back just, to you. Yeah, it was just a tiny path. I was over talking about photographs just for just for a second. It was a component of a a minor, minor little, you know, like step step off the path into the grass for just a second, and I just have no way of rejoining it. And it's scary. It's scary for me because because it's so unprecedented. And it's such a it's such a key part of my identity that I don't get lost and I don't I don't misremember mm. um, that I'm just you know I just feel very vulnerable right now. Can you remind me? I um I unlike you are frequently forget what I'm talking about, <coughs> right? And uh, even more so forget what other people are talking about. Absolutely. Um, so I cannot help you in this situation because I was I was along for the ride, John. I was just here enjoying what you were saying so much that. I, and you know what? The other thing that I've learned. I mean, we've been doing this show for like five years. Mm-hmm. The other thing that I've learned about doing shows with you is I don't want to try too hard to to stay. You see what I'm saying? Like, I don't, I don't want to make it a thing that like, well, let's, let's make sure we get back to that thing that you said before, because if I do that, that can take away from, I feel like from where the story might want to go. Oh yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I'm, I'm here for the story. I'm here for the, the experience, you know, I'm not, I'm not here to like get you back on track necessarily like that. Well, I don't see yeah, that. My- so in this case, I'm, I, <laughs> I wasn't. I mean, I, I kind of remember what we were saying, but not really. I, I've been on the other side of this a million times where somebody says, what was I saying? And then we we trace it back, right? Like, oh, well, weren't you talking well, we about this? Try, we talk about but... that? Well, no, no, no. There's no there's no way to do it. Um, And you know what? The, the irritating thing is that 
all the people, every single person listening is shouting into their phones right now being like, you were talking about the thing. And yeah. like, yeah, 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 right. they're like infuriated. And, and, and the reality is we'll never get back to it now. Well, no, no, unless, That's gone. Un, unless something, you know, unless my brain reengages at the, at the, at its regular operating speed. But if you had not said anything, <clears throat> no one would have noticed this. No one would have cared. And we would just still be continuing on with, the show the way that it was before you said anything about it. Well, I know, but this is my, this is, this is key to my identity is that I'm never bullshitting, right? It's always connected. Every story is always rooted in, in, an, in, in another story. It's, it's, it's an encapsulation. And by the end, I can get to what I'm, you know, by the end of an hour of talking, it almost always either circles back yeah. Or, you know, or, or brings the whole cavalcade of thoughts down in, into a land, you know, down for a landing. Yeah. And so in that moment, yeah, I mean, I could have just bounced to something, but, but that's not what I do. I don't do that. I don't bounce. Right. I, I pivot. It's always a pivot. It's never a bounce. Right. And so, so I had to, I had to come clean just because it was such an extraordinary feeling of being um of having no idea where I was and and I and I connected to aging because I hear from old people and I have for for as long as I've known old people that you know the kind of disappointment the the resignation of feeling like well I have no idea you know I'm lost now I have no idea what I was talking about, and you know the frustration I I had with with older friends and relatives when I would ask questions about the past, and they would say, nah, "I can't remember." I mean, I just can't remember. It's like can't remember. You can't remember what it you know who your first girlfriend was. Well, no, I just can't remember. I could never I could never empathize with that fully because it was so. Uh, it was not how my memory worked. Like I remembered everything. Yeah, and my sister. And you took like pride. That. You she took pride everything. in that, in the in your ability to remember things. Yeah, remember it and remember it accurate, accurately. Like remember it both as a story, but also as, uh, like a a composite of details, and and my pride was that my that I remembered the details accurately. Have I you have you tested yourself back? Like like tested to see if if your memory was as accurate as you anticipated it it would be well i, I it, it's never come up you know there the how do you know it's, it's accurate oh well it's accurate because when you are talking to people and you say well actually this is what happened they go oh right you know the, i mean this is over the course of a lifetime yeah of of recalling things and, and my recall is, is useful, you know, mm -hmm. helpful and useful. And, and it's very, 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 very seldom that somebody goes, no, this is what it was. And, and, and I'm, and I was mistaken. Right. And, and Susan's this way and it's, and my mom's not like it. My dad wasn't like it. It's a rare, it's a, it's a rare power. Yeah. Um, and to lose it. Cause I've been thinking about this for a long time. Like what if one day I lose it, I lose this. Like uh, I, 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 I must, 
it's the it's the march of time. There yeah, well, my my therapist day. told me um, uh, like a week or two ago. Uh, she said, you know, she's like Dan. Every I think I was talking about one of my older relatives and how they, you know, they they struggle sometimes to remember things or they're, you know, like they're just not the same. And um, and she said, well, you know, Dan. She's like, it, it, cognitive decline is is inevitable like it 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 will happen it happens to everyone if you live long enough and and how long that takes varies from person to person for most it's you know in your 70s 80s etc but she's like it it will happen if if you live long enough that will happen and you know i i hadn't really thought of it like that um obviously she's right i'm not suggesting that that's what's going on with you i'm just saying like it's it's an interesting thing much scareder about it than losing my mobility. Ah, but my daughter's photograph that she took herself mm-hmm. at the elementary school with the button was the first time that we'd ever had a picture. Do you see what happened? I got it. I got, got there. It. Mm-hmm. it was the first time we ever had a picture of her that was naturalistic. Of all, I mean, oh, a, just of her being herself. Uh, herself. She she looked like herself in the yeah, photograph. Yeah. Of every picture, I mean, we've been trying and trying and trying, you know. And you don't want to say to a little kid like, "Smile!" No, not that. It's a different smile. Like, no, that not that <laughs> smile. You know, because your kid is just like, "What am I doing wrong?" You know, I'm just standing here. I wasn't doing anything, and then you pointed this camera at me, and now I'm doing something wrong. Right. Um, but but you but you want you want photographs of your lovely little child, of course. And so this, you know, the, whoever these people were with their automatic camera, they came, handed her the button, and she took this photo that's just 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 it captures her perfectly, charming, and and um, and sweet, and you know, like her at her at her at her her, you know, most real. Yeah. And so we just celebrate this photograph because, you know, she has continued as a, as a, a young person. Now, now she's actively sabotaging photos oh. with, with weird looks and, yeah. you know, and, um, and I can only imagine that that will remain the case until she's <laughs> 30. <laughs> right. Forever. <laughs> right. It's going to be impossible to get a picture of her. Yeah. Um, so I've had this picture on my phone for years uh, because it delights me, but it's possible that what it's done is make my phone, it's connected my phone to something I love. So when I pick it up and it's always this picture of my daughter looking, uh, you know, looking like, because even though she's in first grade, she still looks like this. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there are pictures that were taken a day or two on either side of this photograph where she looks like a little kid. Oh, Right unrecognizable little, little, little baby. And in this picture, she just, she looks like she will look when she's 30. She looks like she looked when she was born. She just looks like herself. But, but the phone, there's a part of me that, that every one of my phones for the last five years has looked like my, my blessed little child. And maybe I should change my screensaver to something or my homepage or whatever, my skin, I should change it to something that says, fuck you, fuck you, bastard. 
you're gross or like like a picture of a sucking wound or something that makes me when I pick up my phone go Ugh, and and realize that the phone is not my friend the mm. phone is not my is not a little metal box that my beautiful daughter lives in it is a um it's a prickly mm. device mm-hmm. and uh and the thing I only have, I I I only pick up out of necessity. Uh, and maybe that would. I'm trying to reset. I'm trying to think of a way to reset. Recalibrate my relationship with it, because. Because I because not being on social media for nine months, I'm still as married to it. And not only not only as married to it, but I feel the decline continuing. I feel the I feel the dependency. I feel the lack of independence and and smarts. You know, just like smarts, um, <laughs> desire to you know have conversations with strangers, whatever it is. Like the the phone is a sap. So maybe that's the maybe that's the next thing I'll do. You know, I've, I keep that picture because it's like, no, I never want to get rid of that. Kind of like my my Twitter icon is the same as it was from the from the first day I joined. Mm-hmm. That feeling of no, 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 it's got to be permanent, and it's the and that and that was behind the the flaw of feeling like no, I have to keep all my tweets. I can't delete any tweets. Like that, it's the record. The twit that your Twitter. History is the record of of time, and and as we grow and learn, you know, you leave your old ugly tweets up too because times have changed, and that should be reflected mm. because because it's a form of journalism or something. And you know, you learn like, no, actually, no, <laughs> that's not how people use Twitter. Um, and uh, leaving your stuff up there is just like leaving the front door of your house open. And maybe it's, maybe it's also like, maybe I should log on to Twitter, which I do once a month to post links to things and actually change my little face too. Maybe I should put out a record and change the name of my band, Dan. What would you change it to? I don't know. Naming bands is really hard. Uh-huh. For a long time, I, I thought I was going I, I was, I to was have a side project, a little indie rock like super twee indie pop band called artwork for elephants. No, I'm sorry. Artwork by elephants. Uh-huh. But actually artwork for elephants. It's going to say it's not so bad either. It's pretty good. It, it sounds a little flowers for Algernon. Yeah, but that's what I liked about it. Artwork for elephants. But the, but a band that was, that sounded like that would have to sound like Bell and Sebastian. You know, you couldn't have, yeah. There would, well, maybe could, not. Maybe that would be the irony of it. Would be it would sound like it could be death metal or something. I'm not saying I want you to do death metal. Artwork for elephants. Yeah, mix it up. You know. Yeah, that might be that might be something I do. Just change everything. There is no permanence. There is no. There is no. Like there is no history. Right. What 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 is what is history? Well, but I'm you are, so you are legend. I'm, yeah, I'm so 
I'm so history is so important to me. I'm so consumed by it. I think about history. I use it to contextualize everything. I mm-hmm. uh, things that are happening right now. I think of them as I ask myself, like, what will, how will people remember this? What will the thinking be about it? To say there is no history, it was one of the things about Snapchat that just made it impossible for me to to interact with it because it was anti-history and oh right i didn't understand why you would put why you would put your your work there your energy and it was and it was because i i had long ago graduated to thinking that the things that i said and the 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 way that i appeared on the internet was my work like i wouldn't go on to the internet it, that was not my pleasure. It wasn't my self. Remember that song by The Weeknd, When I'm Fucked Up, That's the Real Me? Oh, yeah. When I first heard that line, I, you know, I like had a visceral disagreement with it. And, but it stuck with me and it, and it pained me in a way that, you know, that good art does. And just and I reflect on it even still. When I'm fucked up, that's the real me. And it and it it, it describes it describes so much. Um, and it and it and it described a kind of generation gap between me and Millennium Girlfriend. Because it felt like such a such a millennial idea. That, you know, that, that I was taught to understand that when you're fucked up, that's not the real you. That's the whole argument, right? And that's what makes that song great. That's what, that's how, um, the weekend was given flipping the double birds to, You know, and in a, in a way, it's like they tried to get me to go to rehab, and I said, no, no, no. That also was a a similar kind of sentiment that connected with people because because it was a change of it was a sea change in the way we talk about it or the way we think about well, the way it, it, it was so bold to say. Um. Like I see your rehab and I raise you that I that I don't want to not be fucked up. And all all everyone on drugs, everyone suffering from drugs and and drink, like thinks that in their heart. But that's the thing you say as you storm out the door and burn the last bridge. It's not the thing, it's not what you say when you introduce yourself to the world. When I'm fucked up, that's the real me. Um, is just a it's just a further leap from I I actually don't want to get better. I would like to stay fucked up uh-huh. to like to like no actually that's who I am. And when I'm not fucked up, that's the fake person. Or that's sort of the, like like you know, uh, Superman is really Clark Kent, but but um, Bruce Wayne is really Batman. Whoa. Like, yes, like, okay. like, like I, Bruce Wayne is Batman's alter ego, not like, like his true self is Batman. 
It's not Bruce Wayne. But you're saying Superman is really Clark Kent. Superman's really Superman. Clark Kent. And he he puts oh. on a costume and becomes Superman, but he's he's Clark Kent. He grew up Clark Kent. He is Clark Kent. He becomes Superman. And although you could argue that, well, Bruce Wayne does become Batman, that's not accurate. He is Batman. I see. And he yeah. acts like Bruce Wayne when he needs to. Yes. When he's alone, he's Batman. <coughs> I am Iron Man. Right. Boom, boom, <laughs> um, it, it, the thing, the thing about the, the, the generation gap of, of that song was not that millennium girlfriend was on drugs, but that she understood, empathized, sympathized with the lyric in a way that was, that didn't, it, it um, it didn't seem like a strange sentiment, you know, and, and maybe it's the relationship that we have to the pop music that comes out at certain times of our lives. Or, and maybe it's down to like a lot of people don't interrogate pop music. Um, but like the, the struggle I had reckoning with like fucked up. That's the real me. It, it was very, it was very connected to, the the idea that my relationship to the public my my persona mm -hmm. the work that i did it was all of a piece it wasn't um it wasn't i did not step on stage and become superman i also was not the batman all the time it was a it, it was like running a corporation. There was this going on over here. There was this going on over here, this over here. And then, you know, my private life, my family, um, my inner life, but also, you know, my irons in the fire, my calendar, my relationships. It, it, I never, I never felt bifurcated. Uh. There's, there's not a private me and a public me. It all is, it's all an intermixture. And I think, I think most people assume about me that there's a private me and a public me because I'm private and it's a, you know, I got another, I got a text from somebody who said they were, they were talking to Kathleen Edwards and she said that she thought that I, me, John mm -hmm. was the most introverted person she'd ever met. And in hearing her say that through a friend or, you know, through, a, through the lens of somebody else, they're having a conversation at a party. The friend relays it to me. Mm -hmm. That's not something that she said to me, but it's, but I've heard that enough times in my life from other people, people that are close to me. Like I consider Kathleen someone who understands me and, and she and I are, are, there's a bond between us, right? Mm -hmm. That's like, that's that's human and she's never said anything like that to me but to hear it is it is shocking to me because i've really been reevaluating this introvert extrovert polarity where i fit in it how much i i let that define me anymore like 10 years ago, I really was into it, it uh, as a way of explaining my path and, and, um, 
and lately I've really been wrestling with it. Is it, does that work anymore? Does that fit? And then to hear, to hear that report, you know, and it was, ca- it was a ca- casual text, like, oh, ha, 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 I was just talking to Kathleen, and this is what she said. Um, it's just a reminder, like, oh, the people that know me really well, that really think about things, see this, see this truth, or see this, and because she, Kathleen doesn't know Kristen Cosmos or, you know, that she's not comparing notes with anybody, right? That's just a thing that she perceived the same way that other friends have perceived it independently. And, but there's not a private me and a public me like you would think there would be, you know, I don't, I don't have a whole other world. I mean, in my mind, right? I have my, my, my inner world, but that's, that's very different from public private. You know, I share everything. There's no, I don't have any secrets really. And to not have any secrets, like I really don't. I mean, I have, what, what, what constitutes secrets for me are that I tell some people some things and other people other things. But the so whole it's more, story— It's more of who, who have I told this information, not I'm not telling anyone this information? Is that what you yeah. mean? Yeah. I mean, these friends need to know this about me, and these friends need to know that. And my podcast listeners get a very broad picture of who I am and what I do and what I'm thinking. But, but there are other things that— and most of the things that I don't say on podcasts are either that it's really uh, it's other people's sensitive information, and I'm I'm afraid I tread pretty close to that line sometimes. But I tell all my own sensitive information. The only stuff I leave out is stuff that even you know even back in the day. You just wouldn't say publicly uh, about yourself or anyone. You know the the um, as as much as you want to live in a world where truth reigns. I think the people that feel the most strongly about truth and honesty are the ones that don't say the most <laughs> because they they don't want to say something that's untrue, and so they have to be quiet. A lot of the time, because if they say the true thing, it's not acceptable. And so there's that, you know, there's an element of, um, there's a slice of the pie of things that I just don't say because it's not, it wouldn't, it's not acceptable. But everything else I tell, um, and it does get me in trouble sometimes when friends listen to the shows and they go, why would you say that on the show? But you never said it to me. Like how, how could you tell, um, you know, 30,000 people a thing that you should have said to me directly. And I don't have an answer for that except that I keep not secrets, but you tell people the the stuff that you need to tell them 
and not, um, and I don't know what it is about the, the invisible audience, the, the, uh, the permeable fourth wall that allows me to just say, uh, to, 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 to take everyone into my confidence in that way. And I, and I think I feel like it protects me. It protects me from danger that everybody knows everything. And in a way, you know, let, let, not to, not to reference Bean Dad over and over, but I have been thinking about it a lot lately because <clears throat> for the, for the several months after I, I felt very strongly that in order to, in order to guard myself, I needed to just not think about it. It happened. It was like a, a bad storm. Um, a lot of stuff got washed away and I just needed to pick up and move on. But, but, but lately, and, and again, I think somewhat my relationship to my phone has been dredging it up and I've been spending time stewing, stewing on, you know, why I haven't heard from friends, stewing on why, uh, you know, what it all means. And, I think the fact that I have been so forthcoming on on the podcast that I do is why why my shows didn't lose any listeners mm-hmm. during a time when the whole world was tilted against me based on a misunderstanding or a misapprehension or just like a you know just like the rage tornado bounced over here for a minute. But the people that listen to the show, it's not that they, it's just that they under, understand where I, where I'm coming from. Right. Because I, and if I had kept a whole universe of secrets, if bean dad had read to, to the people that listen to the show as, as like a glimpse inside my life that, Oh, that they hadn't seen before. Right. Like that, John's finally showing his true colors. Yeah. This horrifying look behind the scenes. But anybody that listens to the shows knows everything about me and my daughter, my thinking, uh, the, the, my thinking good and bad. There's no, there's no like, oh, I read these anti-Semitic tweets and John's an anti-Semite. Like no one that has ever listened to any of our, any of the shows that we do would come to that conclusion, uh, in reading those tweets, they would go, oh, he was being sardonic. Or right. yeah, I mean, you know, they get, they, they, and the, and so, so the lack of, um, or, or or rather the trans, my transparency did save me there. It, it did what I always think of it doing, which is it protects me because not having secrets from the world is how you don't get blackmailed. It's how you don't get, um, caught it's just that twitter isn't the place where that transparency is uh effective because there are just millions and millions of people milling around in a in an undifferentiated and un you know and lawless space and they can't all know you they can't all have heard everything um but but it did protect me because my my world, at least my world of of broadcasting, remained intact. My world didn't. 
weirdly, and that's the part I'm stewing on. My, my, my local world did, but my larger world didn't. But then, but then the world of people listening to the show and, and interacting with me in that way, you know, you, you said to me the last time we talked, you were like, yeah, the ratings didn't change at all, or if anything went up. And that I think is true of, of all the, of all the great shows, and it would be true of Friendly Fire if that if that show had survived. But I can't I can't say when I'm fucked up that's the real me. And I can't say that any. I, I, I don't differentiate anything I do from performance. There's a huge difference between me standing behind the curtain and me stepping in front of the curtain. That is like stepping through a doorway. I do forget everything. I walk out on stage and I'm on <clears throat> and I right. don't forget uh, I don't forget why I came in. But when I step back off stage, <clears throat> even exhausted, you know, I don't think of it as going back into the real me. The onstage me is, is a me and the backstage me is a me. And, you know, the me that's on this show is a, is a me. I'm performing. But if my mom were sitting here in the room. Yeah. You, you wouldn't hear a different me. And she would laugh and chuckle because I was doing um, a bit. But if I got, you know, if I started talking meaningfully about something, she would recognize that I was, she, I'm recognizable to her. Right. Even though I'm talking into a microphone to a friend that lives in Austin with the expectation that that there are a lot of people listening in. Right. And that I think is, I mean, it's the miracle of podcasting because that's available. But there, you know, that I think that's true. I mean, Merlin is an exaggeration of himself. You are, but not that much of an exaggeration. You're, you're, you're who you are. Uh -huh. there, there are a lot more things that you don't say on the show. Yeah or on any of your shows. I say more because, on this show than, uh, than any of them. But you have, you know, you have secret lives. You are the Batman. Yeah. Yeah, probably. People don't know that about you. Right. So podcasting is, it facilitates that, but but there's no there's no place in my life that I'm not thinking about the work that I'm doing and how it how it will be received by history. And I guess that's partly because I was raised in a time when history was the way we perceived. Like when I was 10, 1978 world war two is still very present mm -hmm. 
the the veterans of World War II were all turning 60-ish, you know, 55, 60. So they were still, you know, in the prime of their life, they were reflecting on what they'd been through, the Vietnam War, the hippies, Nixon, um, the social revolutions. I mean, the newspaper, it all made it seem like every day was adding a new newspaper to the pile of history. And to be in the paper was to be in history and to be in history was to, was the job. That was, that was, that was the job to be in history. And I, I, I think that relationship has changed. I don't think that's the way people think now. Driving across the country recently and, and interacting with a lot of people, I did not get the feeling that most people were thinking about being in history. And I'm, and I guess the shocking realization is that most people never did. That it's a it's a way that I was raised because the people that in and my father's family in particular thought that way about being in history. And it's a <clears throat> it's always shocking to me to interact with people that have absolutely no not only no interest in being in history, but no sense that that was ever an opportunity for them. When you say being in history, I mean, what exactly do you mean? Being part of history, being interested? Yeah. yeah? Being, being part of history, having your contribution to history recorded. Yeah. That history was one thing before it touched you. And then you had, you, you touched it in some way. And, um, you know, Malcolm Gladwell writes popular books that all have a kind of turns out right. at the end. And he does research and he has a he has a thesis. And people like his books. And they're good, they're just good enough that the academic world can't poo-poo him to death. Right? They they have to kind of head nod him. But he's a TED Talk writer smart and he has added a lot to history by virtue of connecting with people who read his stuff and allowing them the opportunity to go, huh, maybe the way I, you know, like I actually thought that too. And, you know, to be shown that they don't, to be shown how, how um, easy it is to get, how easy it is to be mistaken without being wrong. Um, so he's, he hasn't, he'll never get a Nobel Prize in physics, but he's working in a nonfiction um, vein. And he's, he's changing the course in a, in a, in a subtle way. He's in history. He's making some kind of difference, hard to tell what, but he's, you know, hopefully he is benign, right? He's not encouraging people to become dictators. No. He's just kind of showing like, 
Well, you know, statistics turns out shows that what we all thought was true. That's not the whole story. You know, he's not like quite Paul Harvey, but. (laughs) And so thinking about what you do in life, can you do that? Can you, you know, that you meet the, you meet somebody at a, at the place that's, that's, um, rotating your tires and there's one guy at the place wiping his greasy hands off on a rag. He's making comments. Everybody's laughing. His coworkers are laughing. The people that are there getting their tires rotated are laughing. He's making a difference somehow. He's, he's adding to, and he's conscious of it too. He's adding to the story. He knows that the people that were getting were there to get their tires rotated didn't expect to go didn't expect to have any additional aspect to that experience they didn't think they were going to come away being made to feel good uh, with anything to think about and you know so that so that tire store comedian is adding more than just his work and that more reverberates and he knows it does it reverberates well beyond what he'll ever see and he knows it one of these days somebody's going to come in he's going to add that to their tire changing experience and they're going to go later on in that day and do something differently and that's going to have an effect down the road And that's just the mentality that I carry into everything. And I recognize others who are doing it in in the world. And I know that they are trying to get into history. They're trying to write themselves in. And you'll you'll never know the effect of it. You never see the, the ripple. But it's a... And, 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 you know, and just changing the tires on the person's car gets them down the road and, and, and it changes history, but it's not, but you're not, you're not trying to insert yourself by, by doing your job or by, you know, by, by working hard and getting home and, and having your space and time to yourself. You know, there, there's that, there's the extra effort. Why does the tire store comedian work so hard? at being funny, sometimes to the detriment of the tire, you know, of the, the the changing of the tire. There's always somebody that works with him that's like, God, would you just shut up and get get down here and help me put this tire on? But he's not doing it. He doesn't think anybody's going to, I mean, maybe partly he thinks somebody's going to come and say, hey, you'd be perfect for my television show. And that's true of me too. Right, all of the, all of my work, I'm always wondering whether it won't just help people, but it will lift me up, lift me out of poverty, or lift me out of an impoverishment of of some kind or another. But it's it's effort, it's extra effort, above and beyond what what you're there to do in the first place, what you're called to do. And at, at, at the, 
at the largest, you know, in the largest scope, you pursue an education, you pursue a career with the with the 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 sole intent of of being in that space and of helping people. I mean, nobody goes into politics because they want to put their head down and get as many laws passed as they can. Right. And nobody, you know, nobody becomes a CEO because they're like, you know, what, what, what this job really needs is somebody that, you know, that decisions come across their desk and they make the best one. You know, CEOs become that because they believe they're going to, Change the world. Right. And where that line is between people, I think as a, as a kid and as a young adult, I assumed everybody wanted to change the world. And people were just successful. At right. It some were successful, streets. some were not. Yeah, but everybody was trying. Right. And I think the, the scales falling from my eyes, it's been it's – been, 40 years of scales falling from my eyes that, you know, no, that's not true. It's the, it's, it's not, it's not true. It's not necessary. It's not, um, it's not fair. It's not, maybe not possible, but it, but it, you know, that, that it's not even a desire that motivation like still fuels every step I make out of the door. 